You're listening to The Local Maximum, episode 92. Time to expand your perspective. Welcome to The Local Maximum. Now, here's your host, Max Clark. Welcome, everyone. You have reached another Local Maximum. I'm joined today by Aaron. Aaron, thanks for coming back on the show. Hello, hello. Uh, always good to have you on. It's always very fun when we do these. I feel like the interviews are like I go out on the field and get information, and then I like um, I check back in with you and the listeners just to talk about how things are going. It's kind of nice. We, we got a process uh, every once in a while. You can't just keep bringing new info, although I think we're going to be bringing up some new topics today anyway. New topics, but you can't just be bringing new um you, you do have to process, you're right, because some of the topics process some of the things we're going on. Anyway, very exciting news today. Uh, we have a, a sponsor on the podcast, a real sponsor. Can you believe it? We're all grown up. We're yeah, we're all grown growing up. up. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's Manning Publishing. Uh, very happy to have them. Uh, I had Mark Ryan on in episode 87 for his books, uh, uh, Deep Learning with Structured Data. And uh, we'll... We'll, we'll talk about it later in the program, uh, but um, I, I want to thank them for sponsoring this episode today. Um, and uh, today we have a, a few news stories. We have a couple of political developments uh, involving social choice theory again and, uh, and, uh, and Twitter. And then we have the self-driving wars, which is how I titled it. I don't know if self-driving wars is the way to go. There's got to be some good headline there, but maybe we'll come up with that when we get to it. So how does that sound? Let's dive in. All right. So did you know that there was an election on Tuesday? Tuesday was election day here I, in the United States and I here knew in New there York. there was an election, but I, but I did you... not participate because yeah. I live in a boring state this year around. Yep. You live in a state that's boring all year round. <laughs> well. I don't know. If I, that probably wasn't uh, that, that was, was uncalled for. That was uncalled for. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> you, you, you know... You, you, I can't pass up the uh, the opportunity for a Boston joke. I'm sorry, uh, and you kind of uh, you stepped right into it. So what am I going to do? All right, fair enough. So yeah, so uh, but now we're going to criticize New York because of these stupid elections. I mean, all right. So what what we had on the ballot was the were these five uh, th- these five ballot questions, and um, one of them I actually I, I think I only voted yes for this one one. Uh, which is ranked choice with ballot questions. You're never sure which way you're voting. Yeah. And not only that, each ballot question actually had like three things they would change. So it's like, what do you do if I agree with two of the things, uh, but I don't agree with the third thing, you know? And so they did that. They pulled that on you. And then I noticed that every single one of the ballot questions in New York City uh, or New York passed with around 70% of the vote. I don't think anyone is actually reading these I assume you meant 70 70. Yeah. What did okay. I say? It, it sounded like seven. No, which, no. If it could pass with 7% of the vote, I have serious questions about how they run elections there. Yeah. No, It. Um, they all passed with around 70, you know, plus or minus five, some are 65, some are 75, which makes me think that the vast majority of people are not reading these things and are just rubber stamping them, which kind of made me, if I were like a good comedian, I feel like there could be some joke out there about how you could put increasingly ridiculous things in the ballot and it would still pass. Um, I, I think that would be another example of how uh, reality has far surpassed satire already uh, in, yeah. in that you can't make a joke about it because it's happening. Yeah. OK, so one change that I think is, is relevant to some of the stuff that we've been talking about is this idea of ranked choice voting. Um, it's also called instant runoff voting. 
and uh, it, it passed with around 70% of the vote. I don't have the exact number here. It, it doesn't matter. Um, and what it's going to mean, and this is only for primary elections, is that instead of voting for one person, what you're going to do is you're going to rank the candidates. And then what you're going to do is they're going to count up the first choice of everyone, and then whoever comes in last place for first choice, they're knocked off, and whoever, you know, and, and for, for everyone who voted for them they're on first choice, their second choice then gets moved up to first choice. Does that make sense? I, I don't know if I explained it right, but it's like, okay, so let's say there are three candidates, right? And then, you know, I, I, I vote for, there, there's, there's one candidate who I think is the best, but is not going to win. And then there's another candidate among the other two who I think is like the lesser of the evil. So I'll vote the candidate um, who will probably come in last. And usually, let's face it, usually the candidates I vote for come in last. <laughs> so I'll vote for the candidate that comes in last. I'll put them first. And then when they come in last, my second choice, who's the lesser of the evil of the other two, will then become my first choice. And then it'll be between those two. And so that's how ranked choice works. There's some criticism of it uh, of like, well, it's going to be more complicated. But, you know, I think that people who are voting should know who the candidates are. Um and, uh, and be able to distinguish among them. Um, and it's, I, I, I voted for it because, look, I, I'm under no illusion that the, the people in charge think this is not going to change their, you know, they wouldn't put it on the ballot if it actually changed things significantly. <laughs> but it actually is better from a, from a social choice theory perspective uh, in my opinion, um, because it does allow you to voice your, it, it does, it, you'll still vote strategically, but it does allow you to voice your opinion, even if the person who you really want isn't going to win. Would this apply to all votes placed in New York, or, or is it a certain subset of, no. of offices? Just a subset of offices. Um, I believe it's only statewide offices and only primary elections. Ah, okay. So that, so, that was that was my biggest question was, does this open the door for, uh, I was about to say third party, but perhaps uh, yeah, no, you can't. individuals you, who are not part of the two primary parties no, to, it, to have better outcomes. No, you're not going to be able to put like <coughs> Libertarian Party first and Republican Party second or, or Socialist Party first and Democrat Party second or, or whatever you want to do. Uh, this is only applies to primary. And there's probably a reason why they're not, uh, they don't want to do it in the main elections because then, you'd see well, that sort of thing you, going on. You, you could take the, the more uh, optimistic viewpoint that that they are, are using this as a test run before rolling it out for the, the main election, uh, which, which would make sense. You don't want to change everything in one go and realize that you've opened a can of worms that's completely impossible to undo. Possibly, possibly. And, you know, the Democratic primaries in New York are really are where the real election is. Sure. Um, yeah. And so you can kind of see. And, but it and could likewise, help. in certain parts of Massachusetts. Right. And it, it could help, you know, uh, it could help the establishment like, you, you know, it could help the establishment candidates more uh, if, you know, there's someone who is like really crazy and then a few other kind of vanilla type people who split all the rest of the votes and then the really crazy person wins. Maybe it could you know, sort of make that situation less likely. Um, and so I suspect that might be what's going on. But hey, uh, maybe that's not a bad idea. So I'm, I'm trying to rack my brain and remember back in, in episode 48, uh, uh, when you, you had a, a guest on talking about uh, voting systems, 
what what his take was on ranked choice, but I, um, I haven't uh, yeah. listened to that one in a while. Well, there are. Uh, yeah, I haven't listened to that one in a while either. I don't think that we came away saying that there's. I mean, it was called Chasing the Perfect Voting System, right? And I think we didn't come away saying that there is a perfect voting system. I think we came away just saying that they each have, they all have their pluses and minuses. Right, right. So um, I think this will be interesting to see what happens when this actually runs in the real world. Um, I don't. Did I, think did I hear that another see- state also uh, passed uh, a ballot initiative with, with ranked choice? Or, um, or was I, New York the only one? So I, I don't know the answer to this, but it might be Maine. I, I think Maine already had oh, some Maine already in place. Had. Yeah. But. Um, yeah, but so New York is much bigger than Maine, which I will have to remind you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so it'll be interesting to but see what both happens. Both population-wise, and I, I think they have the edge in, in uh, square yeah. mileage as well. Even though Maine, Maine is huge, it's, um, it's but, very— But New York is, yeah. I think, bigger than any New England state. Yeah, yeah, but Maine is deceptive on the map. It doesn't look like when you glance at it, you have to really look at it to see, well, wait a minute. Actually, this state is a lot bigger than it looks on the map. Um, and well, actually, wait a minute. You and I have driven through Maine a long time ago, back in another Indeed. life. That was, that, was, um, that was the most desolate place that <laughs> I've ever seen. And I've been to the Southwest Desert. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. North insane. Northwestern Maine is pretty empty. Mm-hmm. And we weren't even in Northwestern Maine. We were kind of in. Um, we were near the highway. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We we used the highway, but it wasn't really. Yeah, th- there's like all this inland stuff that, that where there's nothing. Where I think at least in upstate New York, there's kind of towns dotted everywhere. Um, but. All right, that's enough with Maine. Uh, so, ranked choice voting. What do you guys think? Localmaxradio.com. Uh, tell me how you would have voted in the referendum. I'm kind of interested to hear. Or I'm, I'm sure there are some people who will say, I wouldn't have voted. Voting is immoral. But I, <laughs> <laughs> whatever, you, whatever you have to say, uh, let me know. And uh, I'm, I'm curious to hear arguments for and against ranked choice voting. All right. Speaking of elections, another piece of news here. Twitter bans all political advertising this week. They announced that, uh, and, and to be sure, uh, this this comes uh, uh, almost exactly a year before the U.S. presidential elections. Uh, uh, Jack Dorsey on Twitter announced that he is going to uh, ban all political advertising. Now, not not political speech. You can still talk politics all you want on Twitter all day long, but he is banning ads related to politics. So. Yeah, and, and, and I guess what this doesn't address is it it prevents political ads whereby you're you're paying Twitter to get your your political ad in front of more eyes, but it doesn't prevent you from paying a Twitter influencer to then tweet or link something that might as well be a political ad so as long like- as you're not using the Twitter ad infrastructure. I see. So you're going at least that's my interpretation. So you're going under the table there. Sure. So yeah, if 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 I can convince uh, one of the Kardashians to uh, tweet something about uh, how Donald Trump is doing great things for uh, reducing uh, unlawful incarcerations, which which would not be uh, too implausible based on some of the the things that have gotten them in the same room before, uh, would that be considered an advertisement? Because I'm exchanging money for 
uh, exposure. Well, would he but, pay? Would 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 they be paying them, or would they just? Well, how, be, how's Twitter going to know? Well, Twitter wouldn't know, but I mean, are people? Are there that many? I guess people are paid shills. I mean, we don't really know. I mean, you kind of think that if people, if like a celebrity starts talking politics, it it it, it it's in your mind that this is what they really believe. But now that I think about it, no, they're probably all being paid for this. Well, and and if if you if you want to control speech based on the possibility that it might be paid, then then you run into the issue of well, how how can they express their genuine views and opinions but but that's not what they're doing here they're they're it sounds like they're simply talking about uh things within the the infrastructure of the twitter ad system i mean this is where i get very skeptical over the idea of you know like you know campaign finance and all the rules of the campaign like i feel like it just it just all goes underground and then whoever the biggest criminal is ends up having the edge and and i'm curious what kind of workarounds we're going to see? Because I'm I'm sure there will be. For for example, um, there's, well, there's the classic uh, yeah. scam is perhaps too strong a word. And Twitter for it, is but, maybe Twitter is small enough, you know, where you know people just advertise somewhere else. Well, it, it we we may not get this as much because uh, I don't know about you, but I don't have a landline. Uh, but uh, you, me neither. Actually, I technically do, <laughs> um, but I've never used it. I I canceled it recently. And they were like, and Verizon was like, don't you want to keep your landline? And I'm like, it's been five years. How many calls have I made? And they're like, zero. And uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm not going to use it. Well, so so via landlines, uh, particularly as election season heats up, you'll see more and more uh, polling, except most of that polling isn't actually polling. It's push polling, uh, where they use the, the excuse of, asking you polling questions to really put things in your head. For example, uh, if if uh, I, I were working on a campaign that uh, was trying to knock Joe Biden out of the, uh, the p- position as presum- presumptive nominee, I might call somebody up with a, a poll saying, so if you found out that, uh, that Joe Biden's son uh, murdered puppies, uh, would that make you more or less likely to vote for Joe Biden? And at no point do I provide any evidence of these things, but I'm putting those out there and putting it in people's heads. And because it's in the form of a, a poll or a survey, it's not an advertisement. Uh, and so I, I would be shocked if we don't see uh, some research groups uh, put it, posting posting questionnaires and polls and things out there, which are really just trying to drive a political message by being advertising uh, in everything but name. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty sneaky. And uh, that's I mean, it's like anything, you know, you'll say what you have to say to get in the concert. Oh, I was on the list. I know so and so blah, 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 blah. <laughs> yeah, they'll be like, oh, we're just doing research, you know. Uh, so that's uh, that's how it goes, I guess. And th- those kind of push pollings have been going on for decades. I mean, I, I haven't I, I think I remember like it going on in, in 2000, maybe. Oh, absolutely. Early, yeah. Way yeah. earlier than that before we were born. Most certainly, yeah. That's that's nothing new. Um, being able so, to take it to the internet is potentially new, but yeah. All right, so let's let's actually dive into what was actually said about this by Jack and also uh, Vijaya. I believe that um, that's how to pronounce it. Vijaya, she was the one who was on Joe Rogan with, yes. with Jack. Okay, that, that's my recollection. Right, so she actually has the definition 
here of, uh, which, what was the episode where we talked about that? There was an oh episode gosh. where we, yeah, I, I think it was, okay, hold on. Let me go into the archive here <laughs> because I really want to get this one. Uh, this was, because I know it, it must have been like in March because I remember when we were, when we were doing this. Let's see if I can find it faster than you or not. Yeah. No, I, I, I can't find it uh, off the top of my head, so it, it, it wouldn't <laughs> oh, here, be reflected. Here we go, 59. 59. Oh, Internet it's, in Cuba, Bitcoin in, in Venezuela. Okay, it's buried. How did you find it so fast? I used the search function on your website. Oh, that is And I searched brilliant. for Rogan. I didn't know that there was. I, I mean, I, I put that in there, but I forgot there was a search on my website. Okay, thanks for reminding me. Okay, so anyway, here is uh, Vijaya Gotti's. Uh, definition. Here's our current definition of political advertising because this is important. Um, look, when I uh, put you, an ad you're, you're on, you're a Facebook, little salty about this. Well, yeah. Okay. I mean, it, it's just my example uh, that I go to. So I sometimes try to run Facebook ads for some of the episodes. I used to do it a, a lot more. Um, well, then I got upset with Facebook, and then I realized that the best way to promote there are better ways to promote the podcast. Um, and advertising on Facebook and Google and that sort of thing. I'm still trying. I'm going to try like Pinterest a little more. But anyway, that's something else. So a good example was my interview with Clyde Vanell. Do you remember that one? He I do. Is, yeah, he's the assemblyman uh, from Queens. And I actually traveled to Queens and I talked to him about So he is a policy. politician. Yeah, I talked to him about policy, blockchain, um, cryptocurrency, all that stuff. And so I tried to run an ad for it. So A, they wouldn't let me run the ad because of the Bitcoin, which um, Facebook had that policy. I believe they reversed that policy because now they have Libra. So they're like, well, we have to allow that. <laughs> and But even before they rejected my ad, they first rejected my ad because they said it's a political ad and you have to sign up and you have to give us all this extra information like your driver's license, blah, 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 because it's a political ad. But... I did not believe it's a political ad because I, I, I think it, like it wasn't an endorsement. It wasn't about an election. It was just sort of informational, and so I, I really thought that was just ridiculous. And I think if, if I can argue it in court, but you know you can't argue it in court. It's just it's machines doing. Yeah, this. A, a reasonable person's understanding would would certainly not uh, categorize that as a political ad. However, yeah, I'm not advertising uh, the politician. I'm advertising, and he wasn't up for election. So, or yeah, well, eventually, if, if he, he was, if but. he was up for election, then then there there could perhaps be a, a a reasonable case being made that well, you were giving him free exposure, and so that's a political contribution in kind. So it's basically an advertisement, but but even that is a stretch, and he wasn't yeah. up for election at that time. Yeah. In All fact, right. had had he just recently been elected, and so was perhaps the furthest from being up for election. That a politician hmm. ever can be? I, I don't remember. It, it's um, been a while. <laughs> yeah, I'll have to check on how he's doing. I believe he's still in the assembly. Um, all right, so Vijaya Gotti's definition of political ads. Let's re Well, it's not her definition. It's the one that, that, that she's writing on behalf of Twitter. One, ads that refer to an election or a candidate. Um, I'd still be safe on mine because he wasn't necessarily a candidate. He was just an office holder. Uh, and number two, Ads that advocate for or against legislative issues of national importance, such as climate change, health care, immigration, national security, and taxes. But essentially any issue like that. So any advocacy. So, so that raises lot. the question. Yes. Um, say, for example, that I'm running the Twitter account for the Sierra Club. Okay. 
is there any possible way that I can I can purchase a advertisements on Twitter being that that my organization uh, has in their mission statement political advocacy on issues such as climate change uh, or, well, or am I, I completely blocked out from using that tool because of 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 where I fall there? right what if the ad is check out the Sierra Club yeah jo- join our membership uh, well I, I suppose is, is it is it just from affiliation or or if or do I have to drop the words such as climate change into the ad to to That's trigger a good this, question. this prevention that's a good question because it could be because then I could see someone being like, get you in. It's like, hey, um, you know, uh, sign up for my newsletter and then or, people sign up for the newsletter and then the newsletter itself has political ads that are one sided. So essentially it's an ad well, what if to I'm get a you on a free service. And, yeah. and I'm having a, a, a town hall meeting and yeah. I want to uh, advertise the fact that I'm having this meeting so that people who might be interested can attend. Is there any way I can advertise for that and and remain compliant with these 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 rules? Yeah, I, that's a that's a good question as well. Because because that could be seen as providing a public service, right? Um, e- even if even if I'm not in the ad calling out any any sort of of, uh, of po- specific political issue, although it would be completely reasonable if I'm having a you know a town hall on immigration. Uh, right. to mention that that's the topic of the town hall. Yeah. Uh, oh, I mean, yeah, take take what I was saying before and, and, and take it to the logical conclusion. Let's say I'm a candidate and I want a political ad. I mean, it sounds like this would be too expensive. Although, actually, if all the other political ads are off Twitter, then maybe this wouldn't be as, this, this wouldn't be as inexpensive. But I have someone, like, generate links every week, like some, like, news around the country, or, or news in in the in this city, which is where the person is being elected. Uh, sign up for the newsletter and, get, and enter a chance to win. Blah 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 blah. All that. That, that. Those are ads that you could do. Hey, newsletter, right? But then the newsletter itself ends up having tons of ads for for me, the candidate. Yeah. And so I can sort of get people in the back door that way. Hmm. And because I'm because all the other candidates um, don't have Twitter aren't able to have Twitter political ads, then I maybe have carte blanche there. But I don't, you know, you have to remember, though, the other candidates are still on Twitter. Um, You know, most of Twitter actually is not Twitter ads. Most of Twitter is just people talking uh, regular. So I don't know if it's going to actually make sense for people to work hard to try to get around this. Yeah, having not, not being on Twitter myself and not having tried to use the Twitter ad functionality. I, I don't have too much insight into how how useful or lack thereof uh, it, it actually is. But yeah, I, I suppose I, we've we've talked before about, uh, I think more with maybe a focus on the Facebook side, but how these are complicated, nuanced questions. And they've certainly uh, come at the at the point of of uh, trying to solve something that might require a surgical solution with a sledgehammer. But I suppose if they if they take this sweeping approach, it makes it easier to be even handed. Uh, yeah, maybe, maybe they'll just. And apparently, which, they are going to be losing. They've, they've, they've gotten a lot of flack for uh, being. I hate to use the term bias, but but for an, an unequal application of their their standards in the past. Sure, sure, and 
Um, and, and they're going to, apparently they're going to lose a lot of revenue on this. Let me read some of the, f- uh, the first few tweets from Jack Dorsey when he made the decision, uh, just so we get a sense of why they're doing this. He said, we made the decision to stop all political advertising on Twitter globally. We believe political message reach should be earned, not bought. Why? A few reasons. A political message earns reach when people decide to follow an account or retweet. Paying for reach removes that decision, forcing highly optimized and targeted political messages on people. We believe this decision should not be compromised by money. While the internet advertising is incredibly powerful and effective for commercial advertisers, that power brings significant risks to politics where it can be used to influence votes. I mean, that's the point, right? Uh, Influence (laughs) votes uh, to affect the lives of millions. Internet political ads present entirely new challenges to civic difficulties discourse, machine learning-based optimization of messaging and micro-targeting, unchecked misleading information, and deep fakes, all at increasing velocity, sophistication, and overwhelming scale. Um, so, yeah, essentially it's the, the disinformation problem. Now, the um, disinformation uh, doesn't go away just because the political ads are gone. Um, the so-called earned uh the, the earned content, which he calls, you know, earned content, that's what people are actually liking and retweeting. I think a lot of the misinformation comes in through that. And there's a lot of misinformation out there where there are a lot of people who are like, yeah, I'll like and retweet that. Um, so that Well, yeah, this, like this gets at another problem yeah. that, that Twitter has. And with, 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 if you take advertising out of the equation, there's still uh, the question of, of bots and kind of the click farm equivalent that yeah. if, if you need to earn uh, followers and reach, uh, how much of that can you do artificially and use that to pump up your numbers and make things trend that wouldn't necessarily do so without a, yeah. uh, a, a little little encouragement? But, but, but what's even worse, it's not even that. It's just people like what they want to hear. So if I just put out a, if I, if like people really hate a particular candidate like they, they the the people on the other side hate the hate a candidate and I put out a headline that's false but negative about them people will be like yeah I'll like that and retweet that I can't believe you did that you know well, and, and, and presumably the advertising tools that a foursquare or excuse me not a foursquare <laughs> that a don't bring us into this <laughs> That a Facebook or a Twitter uh, provides to their advertisers allow them to target specific groups, and so they can. They've already identified who the uh, individuals most likely to be susceptible to a certain message are. Uh, so I guess the question becomes: Can you get that message in front of them uh, without the advertising? Um, you just have to make sure that you have access to someone that they are following to to make that happen. Yeah, so interesting decision by Jack Dorsey. Um, it is costing them, so they are kind of putting their money where their mouth is, but it yeah, remains I, to be I, I seen. I think he's got his heart in the right place, but I'm very curious to see how this actually shakes out. Yeah, it, it, I, I'm skeptical that it will make a, a dent in the problems that he's mentioning. Um, so speaking of ads, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I want to tell you about Manning Publishing. Now, a place where you will not get misinformation. No, no. Uh, so uh, you remember episode 89 with Mark Ryan. That was a pretty cool episode. Uh, we talked about the future of machine learning and deep learning. Uh, his book that's coming out, and you can get, get it in digital now, but uh, in the spring, uh, you'll be able to get it in hard copy, the full thing. It's called Deep Learning with Structured Data, 
and it's going to teach you to apply powerful deep learning analysis techniques to structure data found in relational databases that uh, real-world businesses depend on. So for most of you out there who are machine learning engineers or data scientists at your company, uh, you know, you don't need... Um, you don't need deep learning for image recognition and things like that. You have, you know, you have marketing data, you have general database that's in your company, data on users and things like that. So his book actually teaches you how to use deep learning techniques on that, which is uh, something you might want to know. And if you go to Manning Publishing, manning.com, if you go to the site, uh, you could use the promo code that we have, podlocalmax19, you get 40% off on all of the items at manning.com. Now, Aaron, did you try to use the discount code? Can you confirm that it worked? I, I did. I, I went in there and, and looked at the uh, the early access version, which which retails at just under $60. And with the application of that code, uh, it took $24 off the top. Uh, so it's, it's like we're printing money. It's like we're printing money. Okay. And, you know, what you could do even better is you have a lot of man. We have a lot of Manning books in our Foursquare library at work. We have like a library of books. And we, we have a, a lot of books from Manning Publishing in there because there's a lot of technical books uh, and reference books that people need. And it would make a great addition to your work library. Oftentimes, you could even expense it if you're an engineer at your company um, or you could talk to your manager. So... Learn computer science, learn technical frameworks, and make your job skills more marketable by going to manning.com. All right, that's exciting. And by the way, I should disclose that I did buy the book, so I'm excited to have it come. So. All right, uh, so uh, let's go to our next story, which is, so we have here driverless cars, self-driving wars, what I feel like, because there's something incredible heating up here. It's not just that they're making progress. It's like there's a whole bunch of, uh, there's, there's some drama in the self-driving world, <laughs> isn't there? Uh, so I don't know what to call it. I, I think self-driving wars is a little too extreme at this point. But um, we need a better headline for this. Well, there, uh, there, there were some, uh, some, some court Waymo. battles, which I think you'll touch on in a minute. But. Yeah, it's, it's, it's Waymo versus Uber. Let's start with the good news. Uh, so Waymo, as you know, uh, we talked about driverless cars last year, and Waymo was testing it in Arizona. And the lame part was you had to sit there with a safety driver. Do you remember what that was? Yeah, that, it, it, it takes some of the, uh, the gleam out of it. It's much so it's, less impressive. Yeah, it's technically self-driving, but there's like a guy there or, or a, 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 a woman there in the driver's seat and they are like pretending to drive, I guess. I mean, they could like show you, hey, look, it's driving yourself. Hey, look, no hands. But well, they're, they're there to take over in, in case of emergency. Yeah, it just doesn't feel it just doesn't feel like the real thing. You know what I mean? Um, so it's it's the difference between skydiving strapped to somebody else's chest and skydiving by yourself. Um. Have you done either? Uh, I, I have. And you, wh- uh, is it a big difference? Well, I mean, one, one it's, you, it's, it's, it's like one of those chest carriers for a baby. Uh, you, still, you still experience the weightlessness, but, but you're attached to, to, to somebody else. It's, it's, not, it's not nearly as cool. You can't fly like Superman when you're doing that. But you uh, can if you do it on your own. Yeah. Well, and, and, and obviously one this. takes a lot more training. Uh, they, they, won't, they won't just let anybody go up there on their own, uh, but and they'll you, strap almost anybody onto their chest. I see. And you've done this on your own? 
years years back. My my skydiving days are over, uh, thanks to uh, being married and having children. Okay, well. Uh, I did not know that. <laughs> that I've got to ask you about your skydiving days and adventures uh, one of these days. Um, all right, so uh, we have some we have some stuff written here. I just think it's very cool. I don't know. Do you have anything to add to that uh, before we get into the drama? I just think it's cool that they're taking this out. Um, I know that. Uh, I, I think it was. Um, who was it who said level five automation isn't possible uh, in my lifetime? I think that was um, Steve Wozniak. Yeah, said he, that. We, we read something about that recently that he'd basically given up on it happening in any time in the near future. But which... I, I should point out, I, I got to point out, level five is not, level four is still what I think of as true self driving cars. Uh, so level five just means that, um, you know, it pretty much can drive, you can like go out in the wilderness and stuff like, Hey, it's not going to work in like the, in like a, a, a sandstorm in what, but it's like, whatever, no, your day to day driving can still be, uh, I don't think level five matters nearly as much as level four. Well, well, the, the difference between level four and level five is if, if you're confidently at level five, you take steering wheels out of the car and all of a sudden the, the way we design cars changes because you don't need a driver interface at least not in the right. in the sense that we've grown up with for a hundred plus years right right and so but and i think that is far off but that's not when when i say oh i think that um by 20 by i think i've been saying like the late 2020s we'll actually have these as consumer products we'll have these cars on the road and, and people can use them i'm thinking more level four not level five hmm. um so i should clarify that in some of my predictions uh, but uh we'll see i i haven't thought about how far out i would predict level five we can think about that a, a, another time well uh, so so specifically for the waymo rollout with these with with these actual driverless cars with no safety driver on board um there are a couple of questions that popped in my head they they mentioned the two vehicle models that are being used which are uh there's a jaguar which is a plug-in hybrid uh and there's a chrysler uh, the Chrysler, it's unclear whether that's uh, a... Oh, sorry, the, the, the Jaguar is is a, a plug-in electric vehicle. Uh, and then the Chrysler, I think, is a plug-in hybrid or potentially a plug-in hybrid. Uh, so I, I, I'm curious what the uh, kind of efficiency impacts of these are going to be. And that, that takes two forms. One is uh, if, if you have these cars constantly milling around looking for passengers, are they... If, if it's electric, then there's less concern about it, you know, polluting, um, but it is burning electricity doing that. Uh, and if you're putting more and more of these cars on the road to to handle the peak load, uh, how does that affect congestion? And, and we see that uh, having an impact on, uh, for example, at the, uh, the airport in Boston here, they just changed how they handle uh, all the rideshare services. It used to be that they had a, a designated area at each terminal where you could go to get picked up and dropped off. Um, they're changing it now so that yeah uh, they have that here, they, here they have to go to central parking. Uh, there's one spot, and it's it's because there were so many Ubers and Lyfts and whatnot coming yeah. in and out of the airport that it was it was just blocking everything up. Same and, thing and at so, JFK. It's yeah, weird. So, yeah, it, it was weird. Like one one time I was going to. You know, when you're going to the airport and you see, hey, here's a sign for Uber and Lyft. And that was back when it wasn't long after I had heard of them. I'm like, oh, my God, there's already signage here for like, <laughs> this is uh, this is crazy. And and, and if, if this does roll out on a large scale, I'm kind of curious what the 
what the ownership model is. Are is this all going to be uh, cars owned and operated by your your Ubers and Lyfts and 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 large corporate entities with uh, basically a a, a rideshare uh, model, or or is it going to be some sort of subscription service or pay as you go, uh, or or are people going to going to independently own these self-driving cars? Yeah, I think it it remains to be seen, and you know I. I I don't know if people really need to own them at this point, uh, but you know, I'm sure people will want them in the future. What I hope, you know, when I grow up and move out of the city, <laughs> I'm hoping that, um, you know, growing up, we needed a lot of cars. There was even a, a period in my family when we had three cars, um, and so, uh, you know, because because we 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 like me and my sisters, we were older. And so, you know, we need to drive. My parents need to go different places. I hope that, um, you know, it's a lot easier to have maybe one family car. And even today, like, you know, with Uber, um, it's a lot easier to have less cars. And maybe that trend could continue. You really don't need as many cars as you used to because, you know, okay, every once in a while you absolutely want the, the personal car. But if you have the Uber, or even better, if you have the self-driving car, which is going to be a lot cheaper, uh, that will usually get you to and from where you need to go. Yeah. Um, Spe- speaking of being cheaper, uh, I, I was curious what their incentive is to, because in, I believe this is in, in Phoenix, they're yeah. currently offering- Oh yeah, it should, should be pointed out that like, they're not actually rolling this out to like the, the whole country or anything, anything interesting. It's going to be in Phoenix where the roads are straight and flat and it's going to be. Well, yeah. And, and, and that's an area that's uh, they've, they've passed some laws to be particularly friendly to this kind of test and development work. Um, yeah. But yeah, so, so they offer uh, they're they're offering to their, their pilot program individuals, this driverless car. And, and I think it said in the article that if they, they'll get a notification that not only is, is their ride being dispatched, but that it's going to be a driverless car. And it said, well, if, if they're uncomfortable with that, they can call our customer service number and have, and, and talk to somebody who will, who will cancel that ride and schedule a, whoa, whoa, you know, whoa. a standard they, driver car. I hate that you have to call someone. Well, yeah. There should be I, a button I, on the app. I thought it was interesting that they're, that they're making it quite difficult to, uh, yeah. to, to reroute it. But, yes. but that, that made me wonder what's the incentive, um, particularly when they get outside of, of this this uh, kind of beta testing group. Uh, what's the incentive for going with the driverless car versus the driver car? And, well, and there are a couple first, of answers. One yeah. is novelty. Yeah, yeah it, it, it seems so cool. awesome. But that's going to wear off real fast, I imagine. Well, um, I don't know. I mean, first of all, if you have groups of five, you could have someone sit in the driver's seat. Well, I I wonder if they would allow that. <laughs> I'm, I'm guessing they would not. Oh, no? <laughs> but, yeah. I, but I don't know. Why would, um, what was it just going to be an empty driver's seat with everyone kind of awkwardly staring at the steering wheel moving? Well, Why because if you, you have sit- someone sitting in the driver's seat, they can interfere. And if oh. they interfere, what does that do to your liability? And Oh, no. Yeah, yeah I, I, I don't know. Uh, but but I was I was thinking there are a couple of, of ways they could pitch in the driver's the, seat the incentive. Uh, so so there's potentially a price discount. Okay. Because um, you can say, well, we don't have to pay a driver, so we can offer you the same ride for less. Yeah. Um, you could talk about time saved. Uh, yeah. Because if, if you want to cancel this ride and and have a real driver rerouted, that's going to cost money. Um, or or they can simply make it so that within a certain zone, uh, the human drivers don't patrol that area. So. Uh, we're going to have to send someone from further out. Uh, it, it's it's going to be you're, you're going to be incentivized to take the robot driver. Um, I, I guess 
you, you could say that there's the advantage of, of people who don't want to have to have a conversation with their driver, that, that not having to deal with that human interface is an incentive all of its own. There, there's, there is kind of like a privacy, um, even though like perceived privacy, maybe. Well, that, that raises another question is yeah. uh, what kind of monitoring will they have going on in these vehicles? Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, I wouldn't well, be surprised of... if they're if they're you're recording everything going on because that's that's not something you really think about when you get into a even a taxi or or a ride share is am I being recorded? Right, right. But there's something about hey, like this is going to go into someone's server. This is going to go into like a a, a a server farm versus um, someone's actually going to take me there and and know. Like sometimes people just don't want to feel that someone's watching them. Yeah. I, you know, I, I don't, you know, I don't really care, but uh, I'm, I bet there are people who are going to yeah. uh, well, feel I, a difference there. I think one of the cool things about this is that if, if it does work, uh, the potential to scale this rapidly is is amazing because uh, they they would simply be limited by, well, the the legal restrictions on where they can operate. But assuming that that, that can be solved, how fast can they crank out these new, new cars? How fast they can, can they build the hardware? Um, yeah. They don't have to worry about... Uh, getting good enough and qualified drivers and getting them to work enough hours that, that it can ramp up very quickly. And that that opens the door to the question of kind of what is the carrying capacity for these uh, these these cars? That, that That's kind of a self-solving problem to some extent with uh, with human drivers because uh, if, if they're not making enough money to justify the, the driving, they'll kind of drop out of the, the pool of drivers. Uh, but if you're... Uh, Uber or Waymo, and you're in, investing the capital in these vehicles. You want to make sure that you're not buying so many that you've saturated the market, and now you have uh, smart cars sitting around unused because you've overpurchased. Yeah, well, they would move them to other cities, hope presumably. Uh, right, but, but then you need to pass laws. Then you need to, yeah, the, all all very interesting questions, and uh, yeah. it's exciting but, that we're in a time when we get to. Um, we get to follow this as it goes, and you know this. This these stories are going to keep coming out over the years. So uh, okay, so that's Waymo. Um, maybe is going to come off a little more positively today. Uh, Uber, <laughs> <laughs> Uber, not so much. Um, so there's one thing that came out, I believe, today or was it yesterday or today? Um, very recently, well, by, a few days ago by the time this episode comes out. Uh, so first of all, they were sued for using Waymo's technology um, back a couple years ago, back in 2017. They settled the lawsuit in 2018, paid Waymo a bunch of money. Now it came out that they're still using some of Waymo's software. W- was which this is the like, incident where like a, 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 a highly placed engineer basically walked out of Waymo with a bunch of, of data and took it to Uber. That's what it sounds like. Okay. Um, yeah, because I think it was more than just they were using some of the same techniques. Yeah. It was that they they literally like walked out with a hard drive. It was and... a two hundred and forty five million dollar settlement, uh, which is very little. Well, you could say it's very little for Uber, but I don't. Uber is worth what a uh, hundred billion, and I mean that's that that hurts on the margin certainly. Um, and and they've been having although <laughs> compared to how much market cap they've been losing. Uh, that is kind of a yeah. It's afterthought. tough to put all that in in perspective at that scale. Yeah, yeah, but it's kind of like um, you know if you go on a really expensive vacation and you're like twenty dollars for Wi-Fi in the hotel, you know, <laughs> it's still it's still annoying. 
so um, no, but um, the fact that they got burned for this and they're still using the technology is crazy. Like you tell all your employees, hey, we're not using this anymore. We're going to find ways around it. Uh, but so that came out for them. Then another one, uh, another very negative one came out, and this is related to uh, an unfortunate event, an unfortunate accident, uh, fatality last year um, when a, an Uber car hit uh, a woman who was crossing the street uh, late at night in Arizona, again, where the, the, the laws are there to, to run these tests, and it was not at a crosswalk, and there was a safety driver in the Uber, but the, um, the Uber hit the pedestrian. Um, so we have some Interesting quotes from this article from Wired Magazine. Here's, uh, here's what it is. It says, the new documents that, that came out recently indicate that some mistakes were clearly related to Uber's internal structure, what experts call safety culture. For one, the self-driving program didn't include an operational safety division or safety manager. I want to talk about that in a minute. Um, further, further on down, the most glaring mistakes were software-related. Uber's system was not equipped to identify or deal with pedestrians walking outside of a crosswalk. Oh, they'd never survive in New York. Uber, and anywhere, really. Uh, Uber's they, they'd be okay in Vegas. <laughs> Uber engineers also appear to have been so worried about false alarms that they built in an automated one-second delay between a crash detection and action. In addition, the company chose to turn off a built-in Volvo braking system that the automaker later concluded might have dramatically reduced the speed at which the car hit Herzberg, who was the victim, or perhaps avoided the collision altogether. And then in parentheses, experts say the decision to turn off the Volvo system uh, does make technical sense because it would be unsafe for the car to have two software masters. So a couple things to say about that. First of all, personally, you know, I could sit here and judge personally as an engineer, in full disclosure, like I purposefully work in an area where I can't, at least I don't think I can cause a fatality or serious accident. <laughs> um, and my style tends well, to be more that, just That like, makes one of us. Yeah. Uh, that makes, sorry? That, that makes one of us. Oh, so you do. Okay, so maybe you have more. Not, maybe not directly, could, but but certainly indirectly. So yeah. you could you could maybe be a little more judgmental. You maybe have the right to be a little more judgmental than I do here, uh, you know, because I tend to just uh, you know push things fast and, and iterate, um, you know, iterate without caution. But if you have engineers doing that, you need to have. That's what it makes sense here when it says safety culture. You need to have like another group of people who are specifically involved in like testing the stuff that uh, the, uh, the the main engineers are building. And so, I mean, I'm, I'm sure their stuff is well tested. It sound like it, it, it didn't sound like it was an actual bug that someone introduced. It sounds like they actually built this thing to spec. But um, unfortunately, they didn't. I mean, it doesn't yeah, well, make and, sense. And, and the false alarm problem is yeah. is is a a real motivation there because yeah. if, if, if the vehicle is braking, uh, you know, once, once a minute, because it thinks there might be something that, that would be, a a, a danger up ahead, nobody's going to want to have that ride experience. And, and so, uh, they, they've certain, uh, they apparently, uh, found justification to, to tweak that for, you know, a smoother ride, a more, more tolerable user experience. Uh, but they, 
they didn't balance the the cost benefit there appropriately. Yeah. So I mean, and this accident is going to cost them dearly. It costs someone their lives, and it um, probably will set back the industry a little bit. Um, well, and, and justifiably so. Yeah. Here we said, well, Uber establishes oversight board for self-driving development. Sure. I mean, I don't want to, you know, who wants to talk about oversight boards uh, <laughs> on the podcast? But yeah, uh, there there is a lot of anger on Twitter, I see, about this story um, and about, you know, how, how could this have happened? How could the, um, how could... What doesn't make sense is, you know, obviously people could be outside of the crosswalk. Did somebody actually make that decision or was it just like an oversight? Um, and my guess would be it was an oversight. Nobody actually, nobody was actually, there probably wasn't a product manager saying like, ah, nobody's going to do that. So take that out. You know, it, it, it was an oversight. But uh, be that as it may, the, the results are the same. I, I guess there's one thing that, that, uh, I wanted to touch on, uh, and that's kind of reaching back to the the Waymo uh, driverless car launch. Um, and they they mentioned you know how many how many actual miles they've driven and how many simulated miles they've driven with this setup. Um, and I, I'm I'm curious what that the the what the significance of that ratio between them is, which it's roughly a thousand to one ratio of simulated miles to actual miles. All right, um, so that means yes, yeah, so that means that they have. So what is a simulated mile? That's a first good, good question to answer. Uh, presumably they ran it in, in VR is not the right term, but uh, in, in simulation. So the car didn't actually run out on the road. They were feeding feeding data into it. Uh, and and uh, I see. I think just, so someone, just exercising the software, yeah. really. So you can imagine how much work goes into just building the simulation. Now you have to uh, you know generate the whole world. Sure, sure. And, and, and I wonder... Are there good things training that, wheels. that they could only test in on the actual road? Are there are certain test cases which uh, they're much more comfortable relying on on data from the simulation for it? Uh, and I, I I guess kind of what that what that conversion means in terms of of the value of simulation versus actual road test miles, uh, and and what that's going to mean for for things down the road. Um, so, you know, for, for example, uh, can they reliably build into simulation things like someone stepping out into the road, not in a crosswalk, or is, is their, their simulation too boxed in by their assumptions that they really need to get more road miles to deal with the, the unexpected that they might not have put into their, their kind of unit test setup. Well, you'd always have to put in, uh, you know, actual, you know, even if it's not something as obvious as someone outside the crosswalk, you're always going to have real-world conditions that are not met in your simulation. I mean, the simulation is just, you know, um, the people decide what's in there. I mean, you could include some randomness and things like that. But yeah. I'm sure there, of course, there are going to be lots of crazy things that go on in the real world that, uh, uh, you know, that are not going to show up in the simulation. And so that's what makes the um, this development story uh, the the development of this technology is such an interesting story. It's not some kind of brilliant. Um, it's not some kind of brilliant uh, step forward or some brilliant insight is going to solve this problem. No, it is going to be years of trial oh, yeah. and they, error. They're, they're going to have to grind at it. And, yeah, and yeah. it's and 
perhaps perhaps a drawback, uh, but perhaps a necessary one. Uh, all these these simulated test cases, uh, I'm sure, are are proprietary. It's not like they're running the the National Highway Safety and Transportation Board, uh, you know, version of test cases against their software. And based on the results that come out, they either get you know a pass or a fail. And if they pass, then they're good to go. Uh, they're they're running their own Waymo specific or Uber specific set of test test cases. And so lessons learned at Waymo may not. Uh, it, it may take a long time before that trickles down through the industry and and allows uh, their competitors to build safer vehicles. Um, yeah, yeah, which, and that's Google. They have the data to do that. That's a good competitive ex- advantage. It's a good example. And and it raises the question how how much when 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 human lives are at stake here, uh, how do we balance that competitive advantage versus making all the cards all the cars on the road safer? Uh, yeah, and, I mean, the, and what role thing, do do regulators maybe have of coming into that space? Yeah, I, I, look, I do believe that one day this technology will uh, prevent tens of thousands of deaths on the road. I think there's something like forty thousand deaths on the road every year. If it could even cut that in by ten percent, save four thousand people a year. I mean, that's huge. And then you know, it, it's hard to say. Okay, well, then it's worth you know. It's worth having these accidents. You know, of course, we should. Uh, the people developing this technology should do what they can to hopefully make sure there are no accidents like what we have, um, what we saw last year in the future. But um, this does have to be balanced with the fact that uh, so many people uh, will be saved by this technology. And if uh, regulation gets too tight, then and it ends up. Uh, delaying the technology by several years after uh, it otherwise would come out, then that's, if you kind of work the logic in reverse, then that that could be a lot of lives that could have been saved that weren't. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough case to make when, when there, there are people dying one way or the other to the people that it's affecting. But it's theoretical Uh, lives. But when you zoom out to the, to the, the macro scale to to look at the statistics, then then it 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 becomes uh, a much more convincing case. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, so we have some interesting things to look forward to next week. Some interesting stories. Uh, we're going to talk about this World Wall Street J- Journal uh, story. Finally, tech giants hijacked web. <laughs> what does that mean? Uh, did Facebook hijack the web? Uh, so it's going to be one of those centralization decentralization arguments. We're going to talk about A-B testing, but we're going to do it in a fun way. It's actually, there's, there's, there's a lot of funny things that I have to say about A-B testing. Is it going out of fashion? What does that mean? And some horrible, uh, we're going to, uh, we're, we're going to talk about the science press again and how bad it is. So looking forward to next week. Aaron, any last thoughts? Apparently No. <laughs> All right. Have a great week, everyone. All right. Just one quick correction. Uh, That is that the vote to use ranked choice voting in New York was only for New York City and New York City elections. So it's not for the entire state of New York. All right. Have a great week, everyone. That's the show. Remember to check out the website at localmaxradio.com. If you want to contact me, the host, or ask a question that I can answer on the show, send an email to localmaxradio at gmail.com. 
The show is available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and more. If you want to keep up, remember to subscribe to The Local Maximum on one of these platforms and to follow my Twitter account, at Max Sklar. Have a great week. Feel, feel the power.